Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. Thanks for tuning in uh, to our weekly message. Uh, before we get to our uh, Bible study this morning, I've got two housekeeping announcements that I want to lift up to you. The first is, uh, at 11 o'clock this morning, uh, we are going to be holding our annual congregational meeting uh, via a, a Zoom link, a Zoom conversation. And so uh, if you haven't uh, already received the link, uh, make sure you find that. And a little before 11 this morning, go ahead and hit the Zoom link so that you can join in and be a part of our annual meeting online this year. I think this year, perhaps more than any other time, it's really important for us to gather together as a congregation and reflect on the past year. And so many people would say 2020 was a horrible year. It was a bad year. Um, but you need to know there were so many amazing, wonderful things happening uh, through the life and the ministry of Faith Lutheran Church. And we're going to just lift up some of those things and we're going to celebrate them because there is a lot to celebrate uh, from the past year 2020 uh, through the ministries of faith. The second thing we're going to be doing uh, at our annual meeting is uh, we're going to be looking ahead to 2021 and sharing with you all a little bit about our hopes and our dreams uh, and even hear from you a little bit about where you hope we are going as a congregation uh, into the future as we grow disciples and plant churches. Second housekeeping item I want to share with you this morning, if you don't know this already, uh, but that we are planning to resume our live worship at Union Park. And right now we're aiming for February 7th, uh, 9.30, normal time, normal place, Union Park, uh, using normal, I guess, uh, COVID uh, things that we need to pay attention to, masks and all that good stuff. Now, if you're not comfortable uh, coming to a live worship service, that is perfectly fine because we will be live streaming our worship services. And so you'll just come to the Faith Lutheran website on February 7th, 9.30 in the morning, and you can fully participate mostly uh, in the worship service. But for those of you uh, who are comfortable and uh, would like to come to a live worship service, uh, February 7th, uh, we will be gathering together again uh, at Union Park. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the Old Testament book of Exodus. A couple weeks ago, at the beginning of the year, we kicked off a brand new sermon series called Long Story Short. And the big idea behind Long Story Short is that it's a long story. God's story is a long story. And rather than look at different stories in the Bible um, in deep, uh, deep in depth, um, we're going to do an overview. This is going to be a 12-week overview of the, the biblical story, the biblical narrative. And one of the reasons why we're doing this overarching story of the Bible is because so oftentimes many people misread the Bible. They misread the bi different Bible stories because they don't understand the overarching context, the overarching story, the meta-narrative of the entire Bible. We said a couple weeks ago that text without context is pretext, which simply means we misinterpret and misunderstand the biblical stories in, in God's Word, in the Bible, when we don't understand the entire story of God's Word. 
And so we're spending a few weeks uh, looking at the the different uh, parts of the story, the different uh, ways in which God continues to reveal himself to us. Now, the theological uh, term for this is, is really about understanding um, uh, the progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is the theological term, and what it really means is that God is so big, God is so expansive, God is so beyond our understanding, our comprehension, He is transcendent, that God didn't just decide to sit down one day and say, let me tell you about who I am. And so God took 1,400 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, and little by little, bit by bit, God unpacked uh, who he is to you and to me and to all of humanity. And that's what the Bible is. It's, it's an understanding of progressive revelation. God said, I'm going to just tell you bits and pieces throughout the years because who I am, you'll never get it uh, in one sitting. So I'm going to take my time and tell you about my character. And this is God's story. And so that we can understand who God really is. And we began uh, a a couple weeks ago. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of a review. Oh, that God says, first, the first thing you need to know about me is that I'm a creator. This is who I am. I create things. This is what I do is I create things. Now, when you and I create things, we get maybe a little bit of snow. We get a little bit of dirt. We get a little bit of clay. Uh, Maybe we use crayons or markers or wood or ceramic or stone, and we create things, right? That's not how God works. God creates out of nothing, nothing at all. God simply speaks things into existence. And we see this story in the book of creation, uh, in the book of Genesis about creation. And then all throughout uh, God's story, the Bible, we see God creating simply by speaking things into existence over and over and over. God creates and God recreates. That's what he does with you and with me. And we think about this theological truth and we think this is amazing uh, how God does this. And I think all of us can think of an example of God creating, especially those of you who are parents. And you held that child in your arms for the very first time and with awe and wonder, you knew that you were holding a miracle. You knew that you were holding something so special, something so amazing, something so remarkable that you just had to look to God and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for what you have given me and what you have done through the miracle of this child. And that's what God does is God creates. And then last week, uh, Jeff shared with us a little bit about uh, another revealing, another unpacking of who God is. That God is not only a creator, but that God is also a promise keeper. And Jeff uh, just wonderfully told the story of Abraham and Sarah and how God came to Abraham and Sarah, these people who had uh, no real identity. They were simple people. God came to them and said, I am going to make a promise to you. I'm going to do something wonderful through you. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they were up in age. They were getting old. And God said, I'm going to promise to you that you will be a a father and a mother of future generations. I'm going to make future generations just from the two of you. I'm going to do this 
so wonderfully. And so this, and this is a, uh, Abraham and Sarah at this point in time, they're in their 70s, pushing 80. It was uh, impossible, right? But God is a promise keeper. And if you missed last week's message, I'm going to encourage you to go uh, and tune in uh, to what Jeff shared with us last week about the story of Abraham and Sarah and, and how God used their lives uh, to promise to them uh, and, and, and uh, bring about a nation. So that was last week. Um, and as the story ended, uh, God indeed did fulfill his promises. Now, Abraham and Sarah didn't get to see the ultimate fulfillment of making them a great nation. He made them a nation for sure of lots and lots of uh, descendants after them, but uh, they were uh, not a great nation yet. And so that was still yet to come. So that's where our story ended off last week, as God is a promise keeper and he fulfilled his promises. This week, as we begin uh, in Exodus 14, we're going to look at a great story of Moses. And at this point in time, uh, the, 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 the descendants of uh, Abraham and Sarah, they're now 600,000 strong. And there, I mean, I think we can all agree, that's a pretty good-sized nation. God has, has fulfilled his promise to go from one man, one woman, Abraham and Sarah, and made them into a big nation. Now, the only problem was that at this point in time, Abraham and Sarah, uh, or um, the, the God's people, um, 600,000 strong, is that they were in bondage. Uh, they were slaves in Egypt. And so God uh, came to a guy by the name of Moses. He came to Moses and he invites him uh, to uh, uh, experience yet another miracle uh, and for you and for me to understand yet another part of who God is. And so here we go in Exodus 14 as we begin our story today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us, that your story is so big and so great and so wonderful that we need to spend some time unpacking it uh, in your holy word. God, continue to dwell among us today, surround us and fill us with your goodness and your grace as we remember again the story of Moses and the ways in which you reveal yourself to them and to us for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, some of you know uh, that last summer uh, I was biking on the trails at Kamlara Park, Lake Evergreen area. And uh, for about 90 minutes, Logan and I were on these trails biking, zigging and zagging up and down on the hills all over the place. We were having a great time uh, dodging trees, dodging rocks, dodging all the different obstacles uh, in our way. Uh, but after a while, I started to get tired mentally uh, and physically, and uh, I was coming up over a ridge, and uh, I should have zigged, and I actually zagged, and I fell about nine feet down deep into a, into a culvert of brush. Now immediately, the first thing that happened was I got the wind knocked out of me, and I could hardly breathe. I was gasping for air. If you've ever had the wind knocked out of you, you know what a panicky feeling it is. Somehow, I managed to uh, shout out to Logan, Logan, I fell. I need help. Uh, and he quickly came back, and he just uh, sat there with me uh, for about 30 minutes while I just lay on the ground. I couldn't move. Uh, finally, I caught my breath, 
uh, could actually breathe again without being all panicked. But at this point in time, the problem was uh, every breath I took was so painful. It was like sharp pins just stabbing me. I was pretty sure I'd broken some ribs at that point in time. And so I just laid there and we tried all sorts of different strategies to help me uh, stand up. And finally, uh, Logan helped me to stand up and we walked about a mile uh, back to the car. And as I look back and think about uh, that bicycle accident at Kamlara Park, I'm just reminded that in that moment, Logan helped me do what I could not do for myself. He helped me to get up and walk back to the car. Well, we got home and uh, I sat down on the couch and uh, explained to my wife what was going on. And uh, the pain was still there. In fact, at this point in time, the pain was getting worse and worse. And I was thinking to myself, okay, I for sure got some broken ribs. But my biggest concern at that point in time was that I had broken ribs uh, that were going into my lungs. And I was thinking, I'm going to pass out here pretty soon because of the pain and perhaps a lung, uh, uh, a rib will puncture my lung. So my wife called 911 and uh, sure enough, uh, the uh, EMT showed up, uh, these nice young professional young men with masks on uh, and off the couch, something I couldn't do myself at that point in time. My wife and my son couldn't help me either. These wonderful EMTs brought me uh, to this place and helped me out again to do something I couldn't do. And as I think about being brought to St. Joe's uh, to, to receive some rescue, I got to thinking, you know, if Logan hadn't been out there at Kamlara, I might still be sitting in that nine-foot culvert. If those EMTs hadn't shown up on the scene, I might still be sitting on the couch at our house uh, in miserable pain. And, and really the point of me sharing this story with you is that sometimes we get to a place uh, that we cannot do for ourselves. We need someone else to come and help rescue us. And that's really what the story of Moses is about. It's a story of God who comes to rescue his people. So there's Moses. He's about 80 years old now. And uh, he's a shepherd uh, out in the wilderness. And he's taking care of goats and sheep and donkeys and, and maybe camels. I don't know. And off in the distance, he sees a burning bush. And so he goes over to the burning bush, because it's very unusual out in the wilderness. And uh, pretty soon he hears the voice of God. And God says, Moses, I've got some work for you to do. I need you to help rescue my people, the Israelites, who are in slavery in Egypt. And Moses, his response to God in that moment is remarkable. He's like, God... I'm retired. I'm done with this. I have no power. I don't have a job beyond taking care of animals. I don't really have all that much money. Uh, besides, I'm not a leader. And when I get nervous, I start, I start stuttering. I'm not a communicator. Furthermore, God, I've got a criminal record. About 40 years ago, I killed an innocent man. 
And for the last 40 years, I've been running for the law and I'm guilty. They never caught me. Why in the world would I ever go back uh, to Egypt and talk uh, to, to the people there? And God says, no, Moses, I've actually got the right guy. It's you. This is my specialty. This is what I do. I take broken people. I take sinful people. I take people who are not gifted and I use them to do the miraculous. The miraculous. I am God and I am calling you to go and stand before the most powerful man in the ancient world, the Pharaoh, to look him in the eye and say, let my people go. Well, Moses very reluctantly agrees to go. In fact, all the way uh, to Egypt, he is complaining and moaning and saying, God, you've got the wrong guy. And there's just this argument over and over going on. It's kind of funny how God uses these reluctant people in ministry. So Moses stands before the Pharaoh. He says, hey, Pharaoh, God came to me in a burning bush and said, you're supposed to let go of those 600,000 slaves. And Pharaoh says, yeah, that's not happening. Good luck, buddy. Be on your way. And so what Moses does is he, one by one, uh, plague after plague, he says to, comes back to Pharaoh over and over and says, hey, Pharaoh, if you don't let God's people go, he's going to do some bad stuff, these plagues. Things like turning the Nile uh, River into blood. Things like sending locusts and hail. Uh, things like uh, putting boils on people's skin. It's, it's things that are uh, pretty irritating and, and frankly some pretty bad things happen in the land of Egypt. And it's just not working. Pharaoh's just not having it. And so finally, uh, Moses goes back to God and says, God, it, it's not working. Let's call this off. Let's try a new plan. And God looks at Moses and says, Moses, I've got one more card up my sleeve. One more thing. Here's what I want you to do. Go to my people, the Israelites. Each family needs to take a goat. They will slaughter the goat and they will take the blood of the lamb and they will put it on the wooden doorpost of their house. And then you're going to go inside with that lamb and you're going to cook a delicious lamb stew. You're going to eat dinner together and then you're just going to watch and wait and see what I do. And Moses is like, okay. And so he goes to the Israelites. He shares the plan of slaughtering a goat and putting the blood of the lamb uh, on the doorposts of each one of their house. They go in for a meal. And that night, God sends the angel of death to come over the land of Egypt. And all those who have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house, they are saved, they are protected, and everything is all good. But those who do not have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their homes, the firstborn of every, of those, every one of those homes uh, ended up uh, dying. So there was a lot of death in the land of Egypt and among the Egyptians. In fact, there was even death in the palace of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh lost his own son. And the Pharaoh, of course, was very grief-stricken at this point in time. So he arranges to call for Moses. He says, bring that Moses guy back here. And Moses shows up and Pharaoh looks at Moses and says, I've had it. Get out of here. You've been nothing but trouble. I'm heartbroken. I'm grief-stricken. Take your people and leave. Go. 
And so Moses calls the 600,000 Israelites and says, folks, we got to run. Everybody pack your bags as quickly as you can. Uh, don't even put yeast in the bread. Just bake some bread quickly. We're going to get out of here. God has allowed us a way to leave this land of slavery. So Moses and these 6,000 people, they're fast walking out of uh, Egypt. They're going out into the wilderness. And as they're moving through the wilderness, all of a sudden Pharaoh comes to his senses and he's thinking, why is nobody working? Oh yeah, we let all the slaves go. And all of a sudden it, be, it dawned on Pharaoh that this was going to be an economic catastrophe, that all the workers at the, at the, at the factories, they were gone from now on. Uh, it was going to have to be up to the Egyptians if they were going to do anything, uh, be productive at all. So Pharaoh calls his generals in and say, here's the deal, guys. We got to get those slaves back or we're in big trouble. So they assembled the army, the navy, and the marine corps, and they go racing out into the wilderness after the Israelites. And they've got chariots and horses and armor and all sorts of weaponry. And so there's the Israelites walking through the wilderness as fast as they can. But at that moment in time, uh, the, uh, the Egyptians and all their army are chasing them down. And of course, they catch up to them. And so the Israelites keep going as quickly as they can. But all of a sudden, one day, they run into the Red Sea. And so they're looking out ahead of them, and all they can see is water ahead of them. How in the world are they going to get across the water? And furthermore, they have got Pharaoh and the Egyptian army right behind them, uh, and they've got guns, they've got weapons, they've got all the stuff. Well, they don't have guns. That doesn't come for a long time later. But they got weapons. they got plenty of armor to take out the Israelites. And so this is where we are going to pick up in the story of Exodus today. Exodus 14, beginning with verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh had followed the Israelites into the sea. None of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Woo! I mean, it's a story of rescue, right? It's a story that none of them could imagine. In fact, it's a story of God rescuing them twice. First, out of slavery, as they were in Egypt, and then secondly, just when they were about to get uh, cremated uh, by the uh, Egyptian army, God parts the waters of the Red Sea, and they walk through, and then when the Egyptian army comes back, the waters crush over uh, and drown all the Egyptian uh, soldiers. It's an incredible story of rescue. It's a story of God coming to God's people who are in great need and, and God just showing up and showing off and doing what only God can do. 
And the story of rescue and Moses and God's people, the Israelites, it became told over and over and over, generation after generation after generation. People would gather together and they would say, remember when God rescued us? We were in such a bad way in Egypt. But God used this very sinful man, this broken man, this humble man by the name of Moses to rescue us. Wasn't that great? That was amazing. And so year after year, they would continue to share what they called the Passover meal. And they would remember the story of the Passover lamb, the ways in which God rescued them through the blood of the lamb and brought them out of slavery into freedom, brought them out of bondage into a place of healing and restoration and wholeness. And they would just every year tell the story and celebrate the story of God's rescue for them and their people. And most often when they told this story, it was in a time, uh, in times and places where things were hard, things were difficult. And it was a wonderful way for them to look back and remember the ways in which God provided for them and uh, rescued them. And they would say, I wonder if God will do that again. I wonder if God will help us through our difficulties because he did in the past and he did it so miraculously. I wonder if he can do it again. And this Passover celebration went on for another 1,500 years. It became a, 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 part of the DNA of the Jewish people. And this is what, just what they did is they told the story of God's rescue uh, through Moses and the plagues and the Red Sea and, and all that good stuff. And when Jesus walked on the earth, being a Jew, he also shared this story and participated in this meal, the Passover meal, many times with his own family, but then also with his disciples. And they would say, remember when? Remember when? Remember what God did as he rescued God's people. And then one evening, Jesus was sharing a Passover meal with his disciples. And as they ate the bread, as they shared in the lamb, as they retold the story of Moses and God's rescue, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, remember when? And they're like, yeah, it was great. Jesus said, do you think he can do it again? And the disciples said, we do. We think God can rescue us again. And in that moment, the, the disciples, they were thinking about rescue from the Romans. They were no longer enslaved by the Egyptians, but at this point in time, they were enslaved by the Romans. And so they, they were excited when Jesus said, do you think God can do it again? And so they said, yeah, we think God can do it again. We think God can rescue us. Uh, and again, they were thinking of the Romans. And Jesus says, God can still rescue. And then he picked up some bread. He gave thanks. He broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup, a cup of wine. He gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Hey, Peter. Hey, Nathaniel. 
Hey, John, I am the Passover lamb. This is what God's plan has been all along. That my blood would be shed. My blood would be spilled, not on the doorpost of homes, not on the wood of, a home, of homes, but would be shed, would be spilled on the wood of a cross. This is God's plan for your rescue, guys. And it's going to entail me. It's going to take me to die. I am the Passover lamb. Disciples are thinking to themselves, and they even say out loud, No, Lord, this cannot be. This cannot happen. This makes no sense. We liked the lamb, the animal. Not you, the person. But Jesus says, No, this is my plan. This is God's plan from the moment God created the earth. See, as we think about the story of Moses and God's rescue, it's really a setup for the, the ultimate rescue for all of humanity, for you and for me and for all people. This is why we call Jesus a Savior. He is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. He has come to save. He has come to rescue. The Hebrew word, the Old Testament word, is Messiah. It means deliverer, Jesus the Messiah, one who rescues. The New Testament is a uh, Greek word is Christos, means the same thing as the Messiah, only in the Greek language. The deliverer, the anointed one, the one who has come to rescue. That's why Jesus came to earth. Sure, the teachings are great, the, the healings are wonderful, but Jesus ultimately came into the world to bring healing, to set us free from our sins, from the things that we cannot do ourselves. This is why Jesus came into the world. You know, when I think about uh, that accident out at Kamlara, Logan rescued me helped me do what I could not do myself. I think about those wonderful EMTs who, who helped get me here to St. Joe's to do what I couldn't do. I think about Moses and the ways in which God rescued the people to do what they couldn't do is bring them out of Egypt through the 10 plagues. And I think about how uh, God continued to rescue them there at the Red Sea. And most importantly is I think about God's rescue. I am reminded that this is why Jesus came to earth. He came to rescue you and me to do what you and I cannot do. And that is the forgiveness of sin. To take us from all that holds us down, to take us from all that holds us back, to take us from all that holds us in bondage and set us free, to heal us, to bring us wholeness and restoration. Jesus, in the, in the person of God, has come to bring rescue. And so, Mike, I want to leave you with this question. Have you received this rescue in your life? Have you prayed a five-word prayer? God, Jesus, 
I receive your rescue. I receive your grace. I receive your help. I receive your deliverance. You, you choose the word. But whenever someone comes to rescue us, we have to be willing to receive their help. Like I had to be willing to receive Logan's help. I had to be willing to receive the EMT's help. The Israelites had to be willing to receive God's help twice. You and I have to be willing to receive the free gift of grace through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And that is a good news opportunity for you and for me today as we look forward to the rest of God's story. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a creator, that you are a promise keeper, and that you are a rescuer. God, we pray that each and every day as we go through life, that as we learn more about your story, that you would speak to us, you would reveal yourself to us, and you would help us to receive your rescue. Lead us and guide us uh, as, as only you can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.